Well, hey, all you wiretappers out there, back here in the studio of Gangland Wire, saying the same thing over and over again. Expect different results. <laughs> but uh, anyhow, I got a story for you. Another one of those kind of shorty stories I'm doing for YouTube. Let's go back to 1962, Chicago, Northside Chicago, Sam Giancana. Sam Giancana was the boss and Johnny Roselli were, was, you know, really powerful. He was really had all the West Coast stuff for the mob, if you remember, uh, worked closely with Giancana because Giancana was really interested in Las Vegas and Roselli was the man in Las Vegas and LA. Uh, Giancana had uh, been a silent backer partner of a really fancy hotspot, a, a new restaurant in Northbrook called the Villa Venice. And it was gonna be, try to maybe compete a little bit with some of the really nice restaurants and supper clubs in Las Vegas. He probably would end up with a, a game in the back, don't you imagine? <laughs> Anyhow, uh, and, and these two guys, you know, they were always working a scheme. If you think about it, uh, they're the ones that tried to do this thing with the CIA and really scam them, but act like they were going to kill uh, Fidel Castro for the uh, CIA. And uh, they also thought that get him a get out of jail free card, which in, in some ways they probably would have if they'd have been able to get it done. And they also got involved with the uh, election of John Fitzgerald Kennedy in, I believe it was 1960. And, and that didn't work out so well for him either, particularly because uh, JFK's brother, RFK, Bobby Kennedy, he hated the mob, he hated Teamsters, and, and he was kind of a, a little man with an inferiority complex, I always thought, because he went after these guys big time. And he, he made it personal, especially with Hoffa and, and with Giancana. He made it real personal with Giancana, if, uh, if you remember that. There's a video out there on YouTube that that he call he says he's like is giggling like a little girl. So uh, now in the uh, uh, the supper club, this was this was kind of Giancana's. Oh, this was like his uh, his entry into more proper higher society, and he liked that. You know, he was dating one of the McGuire sisters, and, and he liked hobnobbing with the fancy people. Uh, it was a separate club. It opened around Christmas time in 1962. And at the time, the, the Trib and the Sun-Times both gave it good reviews. And, you know, they were able to, able to sell out their grand opening because they were able to get Frank Sinatra, Dean Martin, and Sammy Davis Jr., or that's part of the Rat Pack, the part without Peter Lawford, which is a whole other story. One Chicago newspaper, and I'm not sure which one it was that my research just quoted a Chicago newspaper said in 1962. It seems like old times to see the crowds and the familiar faces at the Villa Venice. I'm not sure which Chicago newspaper it was when my research didn't really say, it just said a Chicago newspaper observed in 1962 when it opened, they were quoted as saying it's been like old times to see the crowds and the familiar faces at the Villa Venice. Uh, we see Frank Sinatra, Dean Martin, Sammy Davis Jr. have done a one week stand and the chairs were pushed together so closely that you couldn't even shove your way between them. There were so many people there for every one of those sold out shows. Uh, what was not known of course at the time to the public is that Giancana had demanded that Sinatra and his Rat Pack appear 
And they had to do it for free because he was blaming Sinatra for the Kennedy administration's attack on the outfit and on the Teamsters. Now, in his defense, Frank Sinatra, you know, in hindsight, we find out Sinatra had tried to get the Kennedys to back off the outfit, but he couldn't minimize any investigations. Uh, Bobby Kennedy was having none of that. JFK probably would have, wouldn't have minded too much, but he wasn't going to control his little brother who had the Justice Department, you know, Attorney General. He's all powerful when it comes to coming when it comes to saying what, what they investigate and what they don't investigate. It's said now that Giancana was furious. Johnny Roselli had gone to Sinatra and said, hey, this is still going on. There's the Jeff or RFK still after people. And uh, he had to bring the news back to, to Giancana that Sinatra couldn't get this done. Uh, you know, there's one Sinatra, one Chicago wise guy that even said, you know, we ought to just kill that damn Sinatra and, and, and the rest of his little rat pack. Now, that guy was a guy named John Formosa. He said, let's show him. Uh, they say that uh, uh, he was a gargoyle-like gargoyle dude. I don't know if you've ever seen those gargoyles on those buildings, but they're up on those buildings, the size of old buildings, they these things called gargoyles. So John Formosa was a gargoyle-looking dude who said, let's show those asshole Hollywood fruitcakes that they can't get away with this. It's like nothing's happened. Let's just hit Sinatra. I could whack out a couple of those other guys, you know, like Peter Lawford or Dean Martin. You know, I could take out that N-word, shall we say, and you know he used the N-word, Sammy Davis Jr. He'll put his other eye out. Jen Kana was, he was above all that. He was smarter than that. He knew, talk about a heat coming down, but that, uh, that would be more than, than anybody could take. He said, you know, I'll just bide my time. You know, don't worry about all that. I still got to deal with the Justice Department. I can do that, he said. Besides, I've got other plans for those guys. So instead of killing Sinatra in retribution, he told Sinatra, he sent a word to him that you and your Rat Pack buddies have to perform for free for a week at the opening of the Bella Venice. You know, and I tell you, when that thing opened, the, the mobsters and high rollers flew in from all around the country, uh, Right on along courtside, shall we say, uh, uh, tables right up front were uh, a guy named Joe Fischetti, who was Sinatra's pal from the Fontainebleau in Miami and a mob associate, Marshall Caifano, Red Wilmette's buddy, uh, the outfits man in Las Vegas, um, kind of worked forward with Johnny Roselli. But every Chicago top hoodlum, with the exception of Giancana, went to that grand opening sometime that week. I know I went to a Sinatra uh, concert here in Kansas City back in, I want to say the, uh, uh, see, I was a sergeant back down in the early 90s, one of these latter concerts. And, and, and I tell you, the, the, uh, the Bob was well represented down front at the Sinatra concert. Didn't matter whose name was on the paperwork at the Villa Venice. Uh, everybody knew it was Sam Giancana's. They use an alias for him, Mr. Flood. When they say Mr. Flood said this and Mr. Flood said that. Got Sinatra also to arrange for some other entertainment. He got Eddie Fisher to come. When Eddie Fisher came, Sam was a little bit, a little bit more conspicuous. He came in, sat in the front row with his girlfriend, this Judith Exer Campbell, who was also sleeping with the president, if you remember at the time. I tell you, it was a, it was a different world back then. In those days, the mob and... and politicians and entertainers were all intertwined. You just, you don't have that anymore. 
or more uh, at all, at all. You know, that night I get going and Rat Pack are all dressed in tuxedos and, and uh, Dean Martin, he always would like make jokes about the mob. I, there's, uh, I was listening to a Rat Pack performance once and he said something about it. He said, I think I own some little bit of the sands here. He said, I so own three, po three points and a gangster, I believe. And everybody laughed. Uh, that night he said, hold the noise down, pointed up to an apartment overlooking the stage or like a, a booth uh, uh, up over the stages. There's a gangster sleeping up there. Sinatra arranged for a stream of entertainers to play the Villa of Venice and, and they had big crowds for quite a while. Uh, they had, it was really interesting. They had some guys like out the Bellagio, they had some kind of Venetian boats manned by gondoliers who steered them across a man-made canal to an 800 seat auditorium. And between the shows, the big spenders shuttled back and forth to a nearby Quonset hut where a casino was set up, basically a casino with gambling tables, roulette wheels, dice tables, uh, blackjack games, you know, and they were all crooked, but these were big enticements for, for everybody in Chicago. He was trying to make, recreate Las Vegas in Northbrook. Illinois, a suburb of Chicago. I tell you what, you got to admire the uh, the moxie of Sam Giancana. It, it's estimated that Giancana took in, and I don't know exactly how much he made, but as much as $3 million from the gambling out back. And plus you got the cover charges for going in. And when you got people uh, appearing for free, you know, it, it's all about practically all profit. Bureau knew about, it. he knew at the time, they even knew that this was a command performance by Sinatra and his Rat Pack friends. Um, other performers who were a little bit reluctant, they also appeared because, you know, nobody wanted to, uh, they, everybody wanted to get along in that business. Everybody wanted Frank Sinatra's approval. So this is a pretty easy way to get it. Uh, Sammy Davis would explain that, baby, let me say this. I got one eye and that one eye sees a lot of things that my brain tells me I shouldn't talk about because my brain says that if I do, my one eye might not be seeing anything at all after a while during a rendition at the, at the Villa Venice at the, uh, they were singing the lady is a tramp and Dean Martin worked in a little joke there. He said, I love Chicago is carefree and gay. I'd even work here without any pay. <laughs> But you know what, I mentioned Peter Lawford missing, being missing and, and he was a go-to, the connect between Sinatra and the president because he was the president's brother-in-law, uh, married to uh, Kennedy, one of the president's sisters. And Sinatra had dumped him from the Rat Pack by this point in time. He probably wouldn't have been able to appear anyhow. He would have known that, uh, that he should not appear at this. Uh, it was a it was a big reversal because during the fifties, Peter Lawford had introduced Sinatra to Jack Kennedy and and all that swinging entertainment world of of Las Vegas and and Los Angeles with all the actresses and, and the beautiful young girls were in that world and you know, we all know now Jack Kennedy liked that that world it carried them all through the sixty election but you know as when Rob, Bobby Kennedy took over the Justice Department they already had a big thick dossier on Giancana and on Johnny Roselli. And, and he, once Bobby Kennedy got into those papers, he told his brother, said, you got to steer clear of Sinatra because he is in bed with these mob guys. 
I didn't know a lot about the CIA's recruitment of Giancana and Roselli at the time, but that was part of the whole thing. And, and the president needs to keep, he's got to stay way above all those kinds of things. Peter Lawford had tried to intervene and stop Bobby Kennedy's campaign on the mob, uh, but that'd been rebuffed too. You know, he said, you know, as much as I like Frank, I can't go there. The president said, uh, Bobby is handling Giancana and there's nothing I can do about it. President's advisors told him, says, you know, you got to stay away from this Frank Sinatra dude, as well as his brother. Uh, yeah, he told Peter Lawford, he said, you got to tell Frank that I can't really be around him. As a matter of fact, at the time, it was a kind of well-known story. He had a, a trip set up to go out to Frank's California home. Uh, I think it was out in Palm Springs, maybe because it was nearby a place owned by Bing Crosby, and I believe that's Palm Springs. Sinatra was stunned by this rebuff. It, it, to him, it came out of nowhere. He should have saw, seen the handwriting on the wall. He, he'd even built a special helicopter pad for the president to arrive at his house. He devoted, devoted a whole room, like with memorabilia and, you know, kind of an homage to the president just for JFK. So it was... Uh, he was just stunned. He even had a framed note signed by the president said, Frank, how much can I count on the boys in Vegas, JFK? I mean, you know, what a, wonder whatever happened to that note. That'd be a nice little thing, a little memo, memorabilia to have. You know, after Lawford called Sinatra, he called Bobby first. And he said, what is this shit? Nobody could budge. He couldn't talk to the president directly by this point in time. Anyhow, he couldn't talk to Bobby. They said Frank Sinatra was furious and threw the phone against the wall and, and just was, was crazed with this. Then after that, there was just silence, just silence out of the Kennedy administration and out of Sinatra among his friends. He was, he was devastated by this. Now, JFK, he liked Frank Sinatra, and, and it said that after all this went down and he heard how poorly Sinatra had reacted to this, he called Sinatra. And, and he tried to walk back the decision and not really back, but maybe away from it. He said, you know, Frank, he said, I'm sorry. He said, the, the Secret Service is the one that made me do this. I, I just, you know, I, I cannot be around you or with you because of Secret Service. But Lawford didn't buy, I mean, Frank didn't buy it for a minute. Peter Lawford later say that, you know, Frank Sinatra never spoke to me again. And he'd been a really integral part of this whole Rat Pack thing. You know, the mob guys, they were furious at the Kennedys for that. They had, they had helped them raise money. They had helped them get elected, pulled out all the stops, getting elected. You know, I, I hear that all the time about how they delivered the presidency for, for JFK by delivering Illinois, which Chicago can deliver Illinois, but you know, Chicago was a union town. They were going to vote for a Democrat anyhow. Uh, JFK, I, I don't, I don't really buy that, that, that the mob delivered the presidency for JFK. I think that that was a done deal with or without the mob. They believe they did. And they believe that they turned on them and, and betrayed them. Uh, and, and especially after Bobby Kennedy started coming down on the mob so heavy and he was really trying to build his 
political career career off the backs of the mobsters because he was getting a lot of press a lot of tv attention for that and there's always press in the mob you go after those big mob guys especially a guy like giancana who was already in the press by you know he brought it on himself if you ask me by having this girlfriend uh, this mcguire a, a really famous singer it was a dorothy one of the mcguire sisters girlfriend so i mean he was trying he was flying too close to the sun anyhow and you know what happens you know what happened to the dude that flying too close to the sun he ended up getting his wings melted and, and crashed. So that's kind of the story of uh, Rat Pack and the Villa Venice in Chicago and Giancana and in you know kind of a shorter form than you can go way into deep depth or take a deep dive into this. But I just think it's an interesting story about the uh, the Villa Venice and how they tried to create this uh, Chicago, I mean, it's Las Vegas type supper club complete with gambling in Northbrook, Illinois. That's how much the outfit owned Chicago, Illinois. Bureau ended up taking it down. Didn't last too long. I mean, it's just too out there. You can't, you can't be out there that long by, you know, the 60s, uh, the middle 60s uh, with Bobby Kennedy taking everybody down and hiring a whole lot of new young assistant U.S. attorneys who stuck around long after Bobby Kennedy was gone. And, and, and that was just, you know, the beginning of the end of, of the good old days for the mob. Well, thanks a lot, folks. Uh, I appreciate you listening in. Don't forget to hit me up on Venmo at Dinkslaw or buy me a cup of coffee with that buy me a cup of coffee app or go to my website, the donate page. Every little bit helps. And uh, if you feel like you have a problem with PTSD, if you've been in the military, just go do Google PTSD and, and uh, VA or Veterans Administration, they have a hotline. There's a lot of help there. And even if you don't, aren't a veteran, you can start getting some, some, some help there because there's help available if you, you feel like you're affected by PTSD. Watch out for motorcycles. And, and uh, I appreciate all you guys listening in. And, and whenever you make comments on my YouTube, I always try to comment back. I know who you are. Thanks, folks.